The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Hello and welcome to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster and my guest today is Dr. Gwen Bass. Gwen, thank you so much for joining. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited because I feel like we've been meaning to meet for many years and now you're finally here and it's a live conversation we did between it. us. Yes, we did it. I'm so proud of us. Um, so Dr. Gwen Bass... I went to your website earlier today and saw all of the things that you list that you are foster parent, educator, researcher, collaborative consultant, and coach. It's a lot of things. A lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. So I was wondering what thing are you most? Oh, that's a good question. Recently, um, I'm most an author. Um, Which isn't even on there. I know. We haven't even... got to add that. We've got to add it. Hasn't even been updated. That happened very quickly. Um, and I could talk about that in a second. I would also... Yeah, I don't know. I, the other cool thing I've been able to do lately is spend time with kids in schools, which is like one of my favorite things in the whole world. Um, and so that's been really fun. I don't know. I love doing all of it. Yeah. Well, it all kind of fits together it in does. a way, too. Yeah. Um, so what do you do? It's a great question. And I really am constantly working on my elevator pitch because I do a lot of things. Do you do your do's the attitude? <laughs> she likes to work song lyrics into her interview, which I, I admire. That's what I just thought of. I admire. Speaking of totally. kids totally and schools and, you know. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> um, so what do I do? I do a lot of work with educators who are trying to kind of do right by kids. And really, anyone who's trying to do right by kids, I really care about kids getting what they need. Is an educator. Right? And, and as mean, like a parent and as like a social worker and my background is in also school counseling. So I just like really care that like kids are listened to, kids are advocated for, and we're doing what we can to support them. So that sometimes looks like training social workers on how to support kids who are in the foster care system. That sometimes looks like running professional development for teachers who want to do a better job making their classrooms feel inclusive for kids with mental health needs or learning disabilities. Sometimes it looks like talking to parents. I don't know. It's like a lot of things. I sometimes work in prisons supporting education there, kind of like lots of folks who've gone through systems that haven't been super serving their needs um, and sort of end up in the, that position. Um, yeah. And then and then I do a lot of research around all the edges of all of that. So looking at programs that people do that serve kids and helping to think about um, how to make sure that they're really aligned with what kids are needing, that other folks are hearing about the programs you know, I don't know. I'm just kind of like all over the map in terms of what I do, but that's kind of, that's the gist. So do you feel like the education piece is at the heart of it or the kids are at the heart of it? I would say the kids are at the heart of it. And, and I will tell you a little bit about this book writing thing. So a few months ago in the late spring, I decided that I was going to go through this cohort based book writing program based out of Georgetown. And it's like a five month program, sort of like soup to nuts of how do you write a book how do you promote a book? How do you edit a book? How do you like publish a book? All the things. And I was like, listen, I've been, I've been working with educators for a long time and caregivers. And I have this sort of approach that I use. I should just like write it all down because people don't need to keep bringing me in to like say the same thing over and over again. As much as I love talking to people, I should just put this in a book. So I went into this program and I was like, I'm going to write the book. And the first meeting we had, they were like, okay, introduced people in the cohort. 
And I was paired with this woman who was writing her, she said, you know, I'm trying to decide. I've been a woman in tech forever. I can't decide if I want to write my leadership book about like how to support women in positions of leadership and technology, or if I should write my adoption story. And I was like, huh, that's really interesting because part of what excites me or like what has gotten me interested in working with kids is my own experience with a very complex and unique childhood. I was like, maybe that's the story I need to write. And I kind of like put that in the back of my mind and was like, yeah, maybe not. So we met, whatever. And then, and then we're getting to the time where we're starting to like, they're like, teach us a lot about like, okay, getting in your creative process. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. It's like two months of that. And then they say, okay, it's time to start writing. We want you to write your inspiration story. Like, why are you interested in what you do? And I was like, well, I've always really felt passionate about making sure that kids are understood by adults and adults can communicate with kids in ways they understand. And I was like, huh, I wonder why I'm interested in that. And then I thought about my own experience. And so the kind of nutshell version is, I was born in Ann Arbor, Michigan in 1982 um, at a time when and my parents are lesbians, and it was at a time when you couldn't get an insemination as a lesbian. So my parents found this doctor who was Dr. Taylor who was like, listen, I will hook you up. And you hear all these stories, and I just want to be like, it is not him. It was not Dr. Taylor who did it. Because <laughs> I know that's where everybody's, mind, everybody's minds go. So, totally. <laughs> that guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, We've, sure. I, I got yeah. some sperm in the back for you. No problem. Totally. I mean, he is a doctor, so. After school special. Yeah. Prime stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. So my parents found this guy. He, he was like, what kind of donor do you want? I've been working with all these medical students. I have, I have some people who've ha- produced, you know, children and they can like we know that it's good so you know what do you want and they were like we want a jewish doctor because my parents are jewish and he's like i got you no problem and so they got pregnant and then but it was very complicated at the time like now like especially in northampton right it's like all these two mom families queer families my parents couldn't be out really even because at the time there were a lot of custody battles around donors seeking uh, paternity rights, taking custody of kids who were born to people who then became lesbians, who were found out as being lesbians. So I had a mom and then I had a non, I, we called her like my other parent. Um, and I was on, like, my mom is the only person listed on my birth certificate. She carried me on her health insurance. My other mom never was like, I just had a baby. She was like, this person I know and happened to live with just had a baby. Um, and, but she parented me. And she had a son from a previous marriage who's 12 years older than me. So I grew up with sort of this brother in this like weird, like heteronormative Michigan household for like two years. And then we moved to the Valley. While my parents were in Michigan, they had all these lesbian friends who were like, how'd you get that baby? <laughs> so, <laughs> so she was like, go check out Dr. Taylor. And he would ask them like, what kind of donor do you want? One of them was like, I want a tall blonde guy. <laughs> like, you got it. No problem. Um, I just like Dr. Taylor because... Obviously, he's a yes doctor. He's a yes you know? doctor. Yeah. Totally. It's like, what do you need? Yeah. I got it. <laughs> and he's like a dealer. It's like Taylor 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 I called him because I was like, listen, I don't really know what I need to know from you, but it seems like at some point in my life, I'm going to be like, I should have called Dr. Taylor. <laughs> so I did. And I was like, hey, <laughs> what's up? You know, like, what can you tell me? Like, I'm an offspring. Like, you helped, you know, and he was, and I was a little bit like, are you my dad? Like, I don't know yet, you know? <laughs> and he he was like, yeah, like, you know, I've, I, I love hearing from these people. Like, I've heard from a couple of other offspring over the years. I'm glad you're doing well. Asked me a couple questions about my life. And I was like, so can you tell me anything about this donor? And he was like, listen, these men 
were willing to do it, but they didn't want to be known. Like th- that was part of the agreement. And he was like, so I never kept any records. And what he had told my mom was, if you ever come back and ask for proof that this happened, I will say this was a routine exam. Everything was under the table. Like it was totally a secret. But there are all these other kids who my parents had known who had also inseminated through the same clinic. And Dr. Taylor was kind of like, you know, I don't know anything. I can't tell you anything. And I was like, all right, well, like, just, I was like, can I just like leave my number? Like, I sort of, I don't know if I like imagined that it would like sit on like a lost dog board or something. Like, I was like, <laughs> like if anybody's like in looking the drawer. for offspring, it's like, in the drawer. I'll be there. <laughs> just just the give me my that card. Doesn't exist. <laughs> totally. I was like, circular filing cabinet for that one. Yeah. So anyway, so yes, he does, as far as I know, still exist. And, and part of the way we know that is, um, so flash forward multiple years, one of my, my parents had friends who did DNA testing through Ancestry. And one of their kids, who had also been inseminated through Dr. Taylor, matched with a few siblings. And they were like, Gwen, you got to do this. Like, you got to go see. And I was like, I don't know, man. Like, I'm like 35. Like, I have a life. <laughs> yeah, like, I have all my stuff. I'm all stacked I'm up. Okay. I know who I, I am. I have family members that I know of. Thanks. Totally. And I was like raised in this like love makes a family movement. Like, I was the poster child for like, we don't need DNA or biology. Like, we're just like families of love. And I was like, so that's what I'm going to ride. Like, I don't <laughs> think I need to. So I had like three failed ancestry tests, which was really weird. I was like, is the universe trying to be like, don't bother? Like, they kept being like, sorry, your sample was not good. And I was like, what? So anyway, eventually I get through the whole process and matched with siblings who, some of whom were kids of my parents' friends, right? Which made perfect sense. And some of whom weren't. Um, And they all have these like really crazy different stories in many cases. But a lot of us, there are 11 of us now. um, A lot of us like had really uniquely, we were like born in this weird window where like before like, way before marriage equality, obviously, but like before, none of us would say we had two moms. Many of us would say we had a single mom and another parent. Some of us would say, some of them just have single moms. One of them didn't know she was the product of an insemination and just was like mind blown when she went on Ancestry and was like, that's why I don't look like my parents. Um, <laughs> so it's been, it's been interesting. Um, but one of them did actually interview Dr. Taylor for a podcast that she did a couple years ago. And he was, you know, he said the same thing to her. Like, I knew the technology was available. Who was I to stand in the way? And and how did everyone find Dr. Taylor? Was it really your parents that sort of opened this window? Or was Dr. Taylor actually doing this previous to no, your I think, parents I, figuring I mean, my mom out? might have, like, known, been like, oh, hey, like, I think that guy is, like, you know. But I, I don't know if she heard through a friend or something. But it was really them that kind of yeah. all found him and then found each other. Well, I think now would be a good time to take a break, collect (laughs) ourselves, give everyone a moment to let it all sink in. Dr. Gwen Bass and your um, birth story, your truth story, your creation story, right? What are you calling it? Uh, Yeah, my my immaculate misconception. Yeah, Yeah. there you go. (laughs) Which is the name of your book. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll get to hear more about that when we return. You've been listening to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster, and my guest today is Dr. Gwen, Gwen Bass. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Welcome back to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster, and my guest today is Dr. Gwen Bass, who we have just heard this amazing story about your conception 
Misconception, Immaculate Misconception. What do you say? What is the name of your book? My, my book is called Immaculate Misconception. Yeah. Yeah. And in part because the book is actually, as much as I just told you more about my birth history than anybody ever needed to know, um, the book is actually framed in terms of questions that I received as a kid um, that I didn't often, that were like like ways in which I was misperceived or, you know, um, questions people had about me that I didn't ever have like a really simple answer for. So people would be like, so... What do your parents do? And I was like, so when you say parents, I know you mean mom and dad. And I don't have that. And I don't just have one mom. And I don't really have two because that's not a thing yet. And so, like, everything sort of had this, like, layer of complexity for me. Um, and what's been kind of interesting in the process of, like, kind of going through all of that, again, inspired by this book writing program and being like, why do I care about kids being understood? I'm like, oh, because I always felt really oddly misunderstood. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's the title. That's the sort of premise of the book. And I love it. Although I tend to get a little bit tripped up with Madonna's title totally of fair. her album. I mean, it comes technically from the mother of the actual Madonna in the uh, Judeo, well, the Christian Bible. So I don't know. I did, I did do a little Google searching when I came up with the title and I was like, oh, there's something really interesting Christian rock jams <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> with similar titles. Yeah. Right. I don't think they went with misconception, but that's where the, uh, the origin of that phrase comes from. Yes. Yeah, well, I'll have to do some Google searching and yeah. hear I grew some up rock Catholic, jams. So yeah. You got, got, some, got it. it, you on, got it. Got it yeah. on background. <laughs> so you grew up explaining yourself or explaining your story um, to many people. And so what was that like for you? You know, like, was it easy? Was it hard? Was it something that you felt like you had to grow up quickly to kind of fit into those shoes? Yeah, I, I guess what you just said in terms of growing up quickly is something is language I haven't used, but that's really accurate. And I think so a couple of things. I think one, I became like really hyper vigilant of like, oh, what's happening socially in this environment? What are the convention thing expectations? How do I present myself in a way that's going to be palatable? And in the book, I tell stories about like being like a four year old sitting on the rug and they're like, OK, it's time for us to like make our craft. Who needs what supplies for their family? And then it turning into this like weird conversation for me of being like, my family's different. And growing up in the Valley was like really great in a lot of ways. And it was like, there was like nothing about my difference that couldn't be like honored, especially like it was like, oh, let's tell us about your family, Gwen. And I was like, okay. So, you know, and I felt like I was often explaining things that like adults were uncomfortable with, like kids were like, had no language for. And it was funny, I got a text message the other day from a, an old neighbor who was like, do you remember that time my grandpa came over and he was like, so what did your dad do? And you were like, I don't have one. And he was like, that's impossible. And the two of you fought about it when you were like eight. And I was like, I do remember that time, actually. You remember that horribly traumatic thing that your grandfather did to me? But I think as a kid, I was kind of like, listen, I was, I was like born into this, like in some ways I felt like a little bit on the edge of a movement and, and not in a like sensational sort of way but I was like this is just my fan like this is all I know as a kid like in many ways I was very much like any other kid like with cabbage patches and slap bracelets and Game Boy like doing my thing like being a kid and also like they would be like can you come speak in our graduate class to talk about like our graduate class on sociology to tell people that it's like okay for parents to have kids because like you seem normal and I'm like okay sure and people would like ask me all these awkward questions about like if I was gay because my parents were and I was like you know 11 being like you know it's really hard for me to know yet like I'm not really sure so like there's it's like in some ways it's a lot yes I grew up in this weird way and I think I don't know if it's like nature nurture like whatever about me naturally that like made it possible for me to not feel totally overwhelmed by it most of the time 
Um, but I never really like intended to be like a spokesperson for a movement, you know, and my, my mom, my biological mom was very outspoken and like totally an activist. And I, I think I like for a long time, I like when I was little, I kind of went along with that because I didn't feel like I had a choice. Like I was like, okay, so we're at the panel and it would be awkward if I said nothing. So I will talk about this experience. Um, and I felt a little bit of like an activist sort of social justice obligation to speak about that stuff. But then for a long time, I really rejected it. And even in like my own, like telling the story for me is like actually kind of a huge deal because I've really for a long time just been like, nope, I'm just like everybody else. I'm just, you know, like this, there's nothing unique because so much was unique about me and sort of like uh, pedestaled for a long time. So kind of reclaiming your yeah. story yeah. in a way. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's a lot. Eight, eleven, having to do those things and and be along for the ride in that way and participate and then not. Um, and so you did a lot of education, right? You went mm -hmm. to Mount Holyoke and UMass. Mm -hmm. um, and so was your studying through your uh, BA, your MA, your PhD? Was it all sort of driven to where you are now? Did you know the whole time that you were coming to this place of an educator, an author, and just working with kids, schools in this way? That's funny. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, probably. I mean, I've been kind of like obsessed with child development for a long time, and I'm sure in part because I was like, what is nature? What is nurture? And like, in, you know, not, not knowing half of my biological history, things like that certainly make a big difference. Um, you know, and even just noticing with like a, like a, a young, from a young age, having that meta awareness of like, I'm different, like, but I'm also the same. Like, what does that mean? Like, how do I understand that in the con? Like, what does that mean? Free to be you and me or not. Totally. Which is what just came out in the New York times. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So yeah. in many ways, yes, I think like I, and I've, I've been reflecting on it more than I think I like intentionally built my way here. Um, so like I've always sought out opportunities. I had like this crazy lucrative babysitting business when I was like 14, you know, like I always have tried to get to know children in different ways. You had like, your pad and you were like, okay, I had I'm index just going to make some social <laughs> I had index cards in a plastic baggie in my Stop it. side of my car because I couldn't keep track of everybody's addresses. And it was like, I mean, this was like, it's I like think your I don't even think I had a cell phone yet. You're like, rolling Rolodex. Like, I, I rocked it. Yeah. Did you read the Babysitter's Club? Of course. Yeah. So that. Yeah. Was that kind I of mean, how you maybe? I mean, it was like my inspiration, like yeah. Mallory and Stacey yeah, and Christy Dawn. Yeah, totally. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they now have the, the Little Sisters yeah. um, books. And the graphic novel reads. versions of them yeah, now, which I are know. also good. The TV show, yeah. pretty yeah. good, too. We were just talking about that last night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're all children of the same about age. Totally, totally. Um, so, yeah, I think, and and I think for me, that, that looking at kids, um, so, you know, I, I became interested in education, I think, sort of justifiably now, I understand that as like, we don't have a better way of assuring that kids will do well in life than knowing, than, than what they do when they attain academic, ed educationally. So when kids graduate from high school, they tend to do better as adults. They tend to have higher levels of well-being. So for me, like thinking about how to support kids in schools has felt the most important, not because I really care a ton about grades or like, I think everybody needs to be like uber compliant, but I do know that like, if kids graduate from high school, it means we've given them a lot of things or they came in with a lot of things that they're going to need to be successful in their lives. And so that for me is like, I have this counseling background. I have this like educator training background. I have this, I'm supporting parents background. Like all of that to me kind of like focuses on those tenants of like things that kids need to be successful. Um, yeah. So 
And what about alternative education? You know, like North Star or Lighthouse. If you don't, if you don't subscribe to the traditional high school route, you know, what are your viewpoints on that in terms of creating your own pathways? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think it's unique to just like succeeding in public school or something. I think, I think being able to set yourself up. And it's a combination for me when I think about it. And a lot of the work I do with schools is around, like, how do you support kids' identities? How do you, like, help them to understand who they are and what they're interested in and meet them there? Um, and so that, like, those models are really well suited to kids who kind of know who they are and know where they want to head or, like, need a different approach um, in terms of how to get there. Um, but, yeah, absolutely. I think, like, it, I don't think it's specific to one domain of school. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of it has to do around support, too. Totally. Um, and you hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, figuring out what kids want to do and really honoring that and, and supporting it. Um, because I think that once you have buy-in for kids in learning, that's mm -hmm. like absolutely 90% of, of it, right. Is like the yeah. participation aspect. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Cool. Well, we're here again. Break number two. We're, uh, steamrolling down this track together. Dr. Gwen Bass. Um, I just want to say Dr. <laughs> Gwen, cause it's like, that's how you get to be big time. You're just known as like doctor here. and your first name. Right. And it's then like you Madonna. drop the last name. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the Immaculate Collection. <laughs> um, Misconception is the name of the well, book. Well, I, I know. But also but I was, buy the album. It's good. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's kind of fun. You have yeah. to have like the, the track when you have to totally. get on the road. Yep. Yeah. Get, get some rights, royalty rights. Anyway. Western Mass Business Show, Tara Brewster. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Welcome back to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster, and my guest today is Dr. Gwen Bass. Here we are talking about all the things. Very interesting life that you've led. I love that. Really, it's, I'm just seeing it all kind of adding up to the person that's sitting in front of me right now, which is pretty awesome. Because sometimes you don't see that all happening, it all gelling in the way that it's gelled. Um, I have a question for you. Sure. Do you see any differences between um, adoptive and birth parents? Um, do you see any differences in the kids, in the way the parents parent? You know, are there any things that you can kind of pick out that you would say, oh, they behave differently or up oh, this kid's different because of these scenarios or this set of circumstances. Well, <clears throat> it's, it's, um, so I do a lot of work and I'm not sure if I'm totally answering your question. So tell me if, Sorry, if this was, is off, Yeah, but it was a <laughs> I, you know, I think Cast a wide net. <laughs> I'll say two things. One, I do a lot of work with adoptive and foster parents. And one of the things I talk to them about a lot is the pressure that I think a lot of people who, did my like okay? Oh, the pressure <laughs> that a lot of heavy. <laughs> Tara Brewster breathes heavy into the microphone, and I give her a look every time. Even I've warned her many times. It's how I stay awake. Yeah. Sorry, my social hypervigilance <laughs> just, just got in the good. way. You're good. We're just, <laughs> I told you I don't miss anything. Um, I work with a lot of adoptive parents, and what we talk about often um, is like the fact that the bar can feel really high. Like when you're when you're parenting a kid who you know has experienced a lot of trauma, um, who's had any sort of disruption, and we could arguably say that like any adoption is a trauma. Um, I, you know, as an adoptive parent, I've, all of my kids came home really young and, and like didn't have real relationships, you know, in their lives with their biological parents. But that doesn't mean that being taken from them or leaving them 
wasn't a trauma. I think it was. And so kind of as an adoptive parent, I think often there's a pressure to like undo everything that could have been hard. And it's especially true for people who foster and then adopt or they're adopting kids who are older, who they know have had a hard experience. There's this like, oh my gosh, I have to get everything right because you've been through so much or your life has been so hard. And like, if I mess up, then I've failed you because my goal was to like save you. And I don't say, and I realize I'm like saying that in a way that like might feel like unpopular to certain people, but I think somewhere in all of us lives that. And we think we think that about our own biological kids, I'm sure. Like, oh, if, if you don't do well, it's a reflection on my parenting. Like there, those are things all parents navigate. I like to say that you never know how you've done as a parent until the day you die because Fair. it's such a long road. It's good. You I know? like the long. So <laughs> like, that's my personal trajectory. <laughs> so everyone can just take the pressure off of themselves because you're not dead. You're not yet. dead yet. Yeah. Totally. And you ain't done. Yeah. And the kids yeah. are still going to yeah. do what they're going to do. You still have plenty of time of, to blow it. Yeah, exactly. And they have plenty of time to disappoint yeah. you or excite yeah. you, you know, totally. make you proud. Totally. It's a two way street. Totally. So I think, I think that's, I think that's one of the things I think about with, with adoptive parents is, is that pressure. And I often talk to people about like, you know, kind of coming back to that place of like, what are your values? And I don't mean that in the, like a, a, the family value sense that we often hear it in more just like, who do I want to be as a parent? Like, what do I want to be for this kid? What are my goals? Like, how do I want them to more or less turn out? Like, how will I know I did a good job? And, and nobody's going to get it. And if, when we all ask ourselves that question, I feel like we can parent from a much more even straightforward place. We're like, okay, does this align with like how I actually want to be showing up or not? Okay, great. And so I guess I just say that in response to your question, because I feel like, like, it's really, like, I feel, I couldn't imagine feeling closer to my own adopted children. And as somebody who was raised by, you know, in, in large part by a non-biological family, and then finding biological siblings later, I can tell you for sure that there is something deep and innate about the connection that I share with my biological siblings. Like, these are people that I never would have thought, I even, I was like, I don't even need to meet you. Like, I just kind of want to see your picture, like, and see if we like resemble each other. And once I met them, I mean, I talked to them every day. Like, these are people who like, I now hang out with all the time. How old were you when you met them for the first time? 37. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been, it's it's like the things that we, like we have weird things in common. And I think there's certainly just like that piece of growing up your whole life and thinking you're never going to find somebody who like looks like you. I mean, like we have the same mannerisms. We have the same cadence of speaking. We have like many of us share like the same sense of humor, like and delivery. Like it's almost like when somebody tells a joke, you're like, oh, wait, did I just tell that? Like it, it's so uncanny. <laughs> it's bizarre. And so I feel like. There's something about that that helped has that has helped me to understand myself differently and better, um, and I and it's changed the way I think about biological family relationships for my own kids for sure and in general like kind of just having that openness to being like it can be both and I think often as an adoptive parent people can feel like oh gosh if I let these biological this biological family back in my child's going to reject me I think there's a lot of fear around that I think for me my experience and that happens too but like. My experience has been it's just been additive. Like it doesn't change my relationship with my family of origin. It just has really been this like remarkable like blessing in my life. And I feel like a lot of our family we come to as we grow, yeah. you know, so whether it's friends or totally your neighbors or your schools or your community. And so we tend to add the yes and yeah. more please. Um so do you, are a lot of your clients 
foster families? Are they biological families? Have you ever kind of looked at the mix to see who's coming to you? Yeah, I were, I mean, I do a lot of programs. So I run a few different curriculum that I've developed with foster and adoptive families. So I, I work with a large and sort of broad audience in terms of that. Um, but I also do a lot of work with, um, you know, biological families who are dealing, for example, like anywhere that like there's something that's getting lost in translation. So I work with a lot of families who are like, listen, our kid's really struggling in school. They have like either this mental health issue or they have this difficult peer relationship or they have this academic challenge. Like how do we like either talk to them about it or how do we talk to the school about what we need or how do we even make sense of what the school is saying about this behavior or like this issue? Um, so that's like another place where I feel like I end up doing a fair amount of work. And so parents find you, schools find you, you know, what, who are your contracts with right now? Are, are you in the Northampton school system at all? I'm not in Northampton. I work with, uh, right now I work with Amherst. Um, I work with, um, I work with like a couple of national organizations. So I work with the Child Welfare League of America. Um, I work with the Federal Bureau of Prisons. I work with, um, the Department of Children and Families here in Massachusetts, I work with KidsNet in Massachusetts, so they serve um, adoptive and foster families primarily. Um, and I work with a couple of other, like a couple of other nonprofits that do parenting support, um, either around issues of mental health or other things like that. Do you and work, then I also go into schools and do that kind of thing. Do you work at all with Treehouse in East Hampton? I have some, yeah, they're lovely. Yeah, I texted Judy Cockerton, but I didn't hear back from her before I got here, and I was like, "Do you know Dr. Gwen Bass? Yeah, She's gonna be on my radio show." <laughs> We're doing some stir up some love cookie dough. That's right. There you go. And they were on my right show now. this week. Yeah, you can order on their website. But um, so you know, are you going into schools, private? You know, I, I guess my question really is: is how has the landscape changed for you? post COVID, um, you know, like what were you doing pre COVID and, and during COVID and, and post COVID, you know, how has your work kind of evolved in this space? Cause I feel like the schools, the kids, the parents, the families are just really struggling right now. Um, yeah. so I, um, worked at Mount Holyoke college, um, for a few years and worked in graduate education that was primarily positioned online and I was kind of like, I don't know anything about online learning and spent like two years before the pandemic, like learning how to facilitate online support for educators in the field virtually. And I was like, oh, turns out that's a really useful skill set when the pandemic hit. Um, so that was that was kind of like one way that I began to do sort of post pandemic e work. I was like, oh, this is a platform I'm really comfortable with. I know how to create engaging opportunities for adults. Um, and I happen to have this skill set in supporting kids who've experienced trauma and like, oh, wow, we've all sort of experienced trauma right now. Um, and so there were some really interesting work opportunities that emerged right out of the pandemic. That's great. And so has it continued on in, for sure into the now or are yeah, you doing and more in person? Both. And what was really interesting for me, too, is like so 
I, I kind of saw the opportunity when the pandemic hit to say, like, listen, all these educators are trying to make online learning interesting for students. Let's also talk to them about, like, how to make it accessible for people who learn in different ways. Let's talk to them about how to make it engaging and relevant for people who come from different cultural backgrounds. Let's talk to them about how to make sure they're, like, really following students' leads and, like, having a, a cool orientation that makes students feel engaged. So for me, it was like, okay, we can do online learning. We can think about, like, the fact that everybody is in this, like, moment of trauma, including the adults that I was working with, right? as well as the kids they were trying to serve. And we can like sort of vision this like new way of doing things. So I worked with a lot of private schools. I worked with a lot of public schools. I worked with a ton of um, school counselors just to kind of help them orient to like what are ways that we can kind of be engaging and accessible for folks online. Um, and that has certainly continued in terms of like, and now there's much more happening in person um, in terms of trainings and supports for, for folks. But I think we're all still very much dealing with the residual effects big time. Yeah, I agree. I think 2023 is going to be a leveling year. Um, just sort of finally hitting the bottom of the sea and being like, okay, where are we going? Are we going up? Are we walking out? Like what's going on totally. for sure? Um, all right. Well, it's time for another break. Dr. Gwen Bass. Um, you've been listening to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster and we'll be right back. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Welcome back to the Western Mass Business Show. I'm Tara Brewster, and my guest today is Dr. Gwen Bass. Um, I just got found out because I'm flipping through all my notes here, and on the back is some um, diagrams and things from my first grader, Charles. I, uh, I think it's cute that you repurpose like that stuff. To repurpose my right. Interview like questions on, and I didn't even think about how apropos it's totally, it you're like is really on brand right now. Our, yeah. um, today your son's penmanship is so much better than yours though i can tell i can't even read what you have written well anyway it's part of the mystery (laughs) (laughs) you can't easily see my work go from over here that's right yeah um so dr gwen bass we've been having such a lovely conversation but i'd love for you to talk about your book a little bit more and what your plan is for that when we're going to be able to purchase it what the rollout looks like what your hopes and dreams are for it. Sure. So the book will come out in um, let's uh, May, May, June. It should be in print. Um, and right now I'm in the process of a crowdfunding campaign. So we're pre-selling copies of the book um, for folks who are interested in kind of getting involved. And it's what my goal is around this part is to have people get excited about the content and kind of kind of join me along the like rest of my book writing journey. So the book is written and the next phases are going to be to do things like pick a book cover and talk a little bit, share a little bit more about the details of the story. So there will be ways that people can kind of engage with the book before it actually comes out. Um, And so that's, that's kind of happening now. And some of the packages that are involved with the crowdfunding include things like parent consultation. So it's like, you can have a book and you can be sort of a part of this author community as we're calling it, but also like, I can do some parent consultation at, um, with you and we can kind of think about that part. So my hope is to really, um, my hope in sharing the story is that I feel like a lot of the threads that I kind of articulate will be relevant to a wide range of people. Like a lot of people are like, what's your target audience? And I'm like, I don't know, like whoever is interested. But I think for me, obviously there's like a link to any, any kid who's in the LGBTQ, LGBTQ community, um, certainly queer families, but also anyone who's had like any sort of identity that lives beneath the surface and has gone through life and school or, you know, just kind of 
feeling a little bit like not totally seen. And so I think for me, there's like messages and themes in there that will be relatable for folks. Um, and I think also my, my goal is to just have more conversations with people. It's, it's funny, like, and it feels a little bit like, like I'm not that old, but so much has changed in 40 years. Like even the fact that like we couldn't have a two mom family when I was a kid, um, like when I was your age, but like, I don't mean it like that, but like, <laughs> It's, but yeah, it's kind of like it's that. It's really weird. Like, it's almost hard to, I mean, we like, you know, and obviously there's all these things happening politically and legally that are constantly like, you know, putting rights in question for and sure. And the movement piece. I mean, I, I yeah. thought a lot about that before we were talking today about how you moved from Michigan to here. Yep. Obviously for many reasons, but I think that politically, yeah. um, even environmentally, I mean, there's a lot of reasons to be moving to, to different places now. Totally. So still. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. You're just making me think. So like the other, <laughs> the other thing that happened when I was little is my parents separated when I was like four and one of my parents moved to Switzerland. And so I had this weird, like I, I'm one thing in this progressive little New England town. And then I moved and then I would summer in Switzerland with my other parent and she became my godmother because she couldn't be out at work and so it was this bizarre like and then I was like hi I'm this kid who doesn't speak French who's at summer camp in Switzerland <laughs> and like so there's just all these layers to this bizarre story that is my life um, but I feel like you know in in the book the goal again is to just sort of like illuminate some of the historical components and also just kind of share something that I think is highly relatable for anyone with like any sort of identity that lives beneath the surface. And so can people find information about the book on your website? Yeah. So my website is, um, www.drgwenbass.com. Um, and you can definitely find information about it there. Um, you can also follow me on social media. It should be pretty easy to search Dr. Gwen Bass. Um, yeah. And then I'm happy to kind of chat with anyone who has questions or yeah I'm what I'm excited about and when I think about sort of like what the long game is for the book again I didn't intend to write it um so I feel a little bit like oh okay what, what do I want to do with this um I think part of it is to have more conversations with people who are really trying to like so I in the process of just kind of talking about the book I've spoken with so many people who are like debating what role biological family will play for their children and whether that's like the role of a donor or the role of a um, biological siblings. Like a lot of, there's like all these offspring registries now for folks who've done donor inseminations. Like, do we want to know the siblings? Do we need to know the siblings? Does it matter? Um, and having, you know, and obviously my work with foster and adoptive families for sure feels relevant there. So is there a book tour in the future? Are you going to take it on the road? We'll see. We'll see. There'll definitely be, um, so again, pre, pre, if folks participate in the pre-sale and buy the book now, we'll have a very fun launch event in the springtime. Um, and that'll be fun for folks to come to. Um, yeah, but we'll see what happens. There's definitely like, you know, I've been talking to some people about some potential travel and things like that. So it feels exciting. And so in your wildest dreams, where does this take you? That's a great question. You know, I um, I think I'm just going to be like, I, it's, it's funny, I was thinking about this earlier today. Like, I don't think I have a particular vision. I think I'm like, what do I want my life to look like? Right now, I get to spend a lot of time with my own kids. I get to have really interesting conversations. I get to talk to lots of cool people. I get to, like, feel like I'm making a difference in, like, little ways when I'm working with kids and bigger ways when I'm working with adults who have, like, a broader impact on kids. And, like, that's what I want to keep doing. 
So wherever, whatever happens, that's kind of like my goal. It's going to be your core. Yeah. And so how are kids doing right now? Are kids being nice to themselves? Ah! Are they being nice to each other? Like what is, what is your read on, oh, on the kiddos right now? It's hard times. It's really hard times. I think um, it's so. Somebody just asked me for. I was writing an article for something recently, and somebody was like, "So, what are the biggest issues?" And I was like, "How long is this article?" <laughs> um, you know, mm. I think we have this issue of parents being really overwhelmed. Even what, like, regardless of what the pandemic looked like for folks, it's the sort of coming back into reality. That re- like we're in a we're in multiple levels of mental health crisis: adolescent mental health crisis. We're in an adult mental health crisis. We're in a child mental health crisis. And that doesn't play very well for kids in terms of pe- you know, people having the capacity to support children right now. So I think a lot of kids are really struggling. I think we have kids who are like socialized during this time of like really heightened anxiety. Um, so you, I think you're seeing a lot of anxiety in kids. I think you're seeing a lot of kids who have trouble self-regulating. Um, you're seeing a lot of families who are trying to be like, we did this one way of parenting during the pandemic and now we want to walk it back. And families and kids are like, wait, but I can't be on screens all day. Like, what's that about? You know? So I think there's like a lot of detox. Yeah, it's totally what it's about. digital <laughs> detox. <laughs> we need more petted rooms for us all to just... I know it's, it's real or nature and outside. more nature. Yeah. hundred percent. I, I like yeah. that is get outside. The, I should be interviewing you and like, I should ask you what you think the, antidote is and you should be like nature and i'm like yes yeah it's all my deep breaths over here yeah she's always doing (laughs) yoga right into the microphone helps me to calm down (laughs) um this has been really great and i appreciate you coming on so much thanks so much for having me um yeah thank you so much for living your truth and being real and sharing you know i feel like a lot of people don't really want to share their personal stories, their birth stories and, you know, how they got to where they are. It's hard. Um, so thank you for being transparent no problem. and open and helping the kids and the families because Lord knows we need it. Um, I'd like to say thank you to GSB, Greenfield Savings Bank, my employer, 10 branches throughout Franklin and Hampshire County. We now have a new president who is our old CFO, Tom Mashako. I appreciate Tom so much. Thank you for stepping up. And also to George O'Brien and Business West. Without George and the publication of Business West, I don't know where we'd all be, not knowing a lot about what's going on in the four counties of the region. Thank you so much, George. And Monty. Yes. I'm so sad. I'm leaving. (laughs) This is our last time together. This is our last time together. Dr. Gwen Bass. She has to sit on on this awkward moment. How far we've come till the end End of of the the road. Still I can't let you go. We had to sing on the last It's unnatural. I almost hit the harmony. I mean, I was close. You belong to me. I belong to you. Were you old enough for that song? I sure was. Okay, just checking. Yeah, 100%. They come to um, Cynthia Hall. It's so hard to say goodbye to to yesterday. yesterday. I almost almost played that. I almost played that on the river the other day. Okay, we got to wrap this up. Thank you. It's been a joy. Dr. Gwen Bass. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. And Monty, I'll miss you. Don't talk, just hold me closer.
Let me sit on 